join us if you dare. It's movie night at your drive-in of terror. Each week, you'll hear about one campy movie for a laugh. One terrifying feature sure to scare your pants off. And one kid-friendly scare for the little ones. Or not-so-little ones, needing a little less terror. The show's about to start. Get comfy and sit down in front. Oh, and one more thing. This episode contains spoilers. Consider yourself warm. Enjoy the show, if you're brave enough. Take it away, Shay. I'm Shay, and I'm here with our special guest host, Eric. We'd like you to pull on in to our drive-in of terror for season two, episode 26 of Scare Your Pants Off, because it's movie night. And tonight's episode, we've got The Exorcist on the big screen. You grab the snacks, we'll cover lights. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Wonderful. <laughs> Overcame a few technical difficulties to get this started, but now that we're on a roll, I think we got it down. We should be pretty good. Yep, no lives were lost, maybe. <laughs> no lives. <laughs> no, not no lives were lost in the making of this podcast, although we will probably cover several deaths. Yes, yes, that will be a thing today because we are very excitedly talking about the exorcist today. But mm-hmm. I feel like we I feel like we have watched something very recently. Yeah, I, so the movie that I believe you're referring to is Megan. Um Megan is that creepy doll movie, the yeah, the the android doll that comes to life and can we say uh, android? She's the robot doll, maybe. Yeah, all right, the robot doll that comes to life as a, yeah. I mean, an android is a robot. Androids were robots before they were phones. Um, I know that we we don't have an iOS robot coming out after us, so it's okay. Um, but in, in any event, yeah, the robot doll that comes to life and she's very creepily realistic and she has realistic facial expressions and she wants to um, basically achieve becoming like a human and they learn and they gain emotions and it's super duper creepy. And I was honestly surprised at how many negative reviews I saw for this movie because I think we both thought it was really good. Yeah, it, yeah, that's a very creepy topic for me, anyways. But yeah, that is. It, I thought. Oh, it was I really know. Creepy. Like, I mean, even just watching like those Boston Dynamic videos with all the with all the. I mean, that stuff's super creepy because you know, since the Terminator movies, the 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 saying that people are gonna have is that oh, the robots are gonna come to get us. Technology's gonna, you know, rise up and come after us. And and Megan is a really good example of how that could happen. Yeah, and the whoever the actress or actresses i think there was one the one that played megan were absolutely terrifying and i don't i don't know if they're going to be up for any awards but they should be and yeah. they're totally creepy but super creepy super creepy yeah well, absolutely um and then i mean aside from that the other thing that we were going to talk about um in our pre-show chit chat here was the upcoming podcast that you and I are going to have uh, now that my run as a as a stand-in pinch hitter podcaster is over. This would be my last episode before uh, Tom has settled back into his studio. Um, Shay and I have a little bit of announcement that we're going to come out with a podcast um, together. Yeah, 
So we're gonna do it's still in its it's still in the rough early phases, so we're not like concrete yet, but um we'll kinda kinda do like a Q and A type of deal, but um we both have we both have a pretty decent sense of humor, so it should make for some pretty funny banter and some pretty funny answers, but um, there'll obviously be a lot more to it, but that is something you guys should definitely keep an eye out for in the future, because it will not be something you want to miss. Yeah, it sounds like it should It should be a lot of fun. That's really what it's going to come down to. We're not going to be hitting the hard-hitting, religious, politics, crazy, awful. You got plenty of people talking about that stuff. We're going to talk about like stuff like hey if you woke up and you had the most inconvenient superpower what would it be and we'll have a little silly conversation around conversations about uh questions that really don't mean anything we're not going to be we're not going to be hard hitting and 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 delving into serious subjects um but i feel like it'll be fun and and if you guys want to listen in that'll be fun too i agree so on top of it i've actually started watching something called the shining girls and it is something that i <laughs> i had ever tried to start watching but i think he was a little bit tired but um i'm not going to talk a super ton about it but the main girl from handmaiden's tales in it and she's absolutely phenomenal so before i go into a ton of detail it's a new show it's on apple tv or apple plus tv or whatever that's called because i have no idea um, but that's something you guys should also check out if you're interested in, like, kind of a mystery horror type of, you know, murdery story, which is probably really, really good, too. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, just I know it caught our eye because it has the actress. I wish I could remember her name off the top of my head, but the actress who's mostly well known for um, The Handmaid's Tale. And um, I mean, the the part the movie that I saw, the, the episode that I saw, I should say, um, I was into it, even though I was a little bit tired and I, I really couldn't keep marathoning it that day but Shay was already like six episodes in and I couldn't hold her back <laughs> it's true he could not but <laughs> all right well I feel like I'm really excited to talk about my future when it comes time so if you don't mind can we dive into your campy for those looking for a laugh it's time for the campy absolutely so as I mentioned earlier, this should be my last episode standing in for Tom, and I am not going to do the movie that Tom picked. Um, one, because I tried watching the movie that Tom picked, and it was a tough watch. Um, the movie that Tom had picked was Velocipaster, and um, if you want camp, I mean, this is Camp Crystal Lake times 10. This is the campiest movie thing I've ever seen, um, but it was a little tough to watch. It was, it was very, very CGI and not great CGI. Um, so I picked a movie, since this is my last episode, that I loved as a kid, a very campy movie. I'm going to talk about 1991's People Under the Stairs by Wes Craven. Um, this was a movie that I loved as a kid, um, and it's a movie that image-wise pops into my head every so often. There was some really cool um, imagery in this movie, as you could imagine, coming from Wes Craven, who's obviously mostly known from Nightmare on Elm Street and in the Scream franchise. Um, and it stars um, Brandon Quinton Adams, who you would know from The Sandlot, um, The Mighty Ducks, and he actually plays young Michael Jackson in the Moonwalker movie. Um, 
Ving Rames, who was in Con Air, Mission Impossible, Dawn of the Dead, which was talked about earlier on in this podcast. And then obviously he's Marcellus Wallace from Pulp Fiction. Um, Ving Rames is just a cool guy in, in any movie he's in is going to be enhanced by him. Um, and there's a little bit of a similarity between this movie and Pulp Fiction we'll get into a little bit later. Um, the movie, it centers around Fool, who's Brandon Quentin Adams on his 13th birthday, and Leroy, who is Ving Rhames. And uh, they decide to break into their landlord's house. Um, money's tight. They live in a really rundown, bad area. Um, the kind of the worst kind of area they'd ever see when they show them in their home is really bad and they can't afford their apartment even as bad as it is so they decide they're going to break into the landlord's house them and another guy who's friends with Ming Rames um they break into the house and they find out that it's booby trapped everywhere um there's a killer dog the owners come home and they're really really strange they call each other mommy and daddy um and even though you do find out that they're actually brother and sister so they're brother and sister and they're married and they call each other mommy and daddy and um they're getting attacked by this killer attack dog and the house has trap doors and all kinds of crazy stuff they do eventually catch fool and they put him down in the basement and that's where you meet the people under the stairs who are basically just people that this couple have kidnapped they're salesmen they're boy scouts they're any anybody who's come to the door they either kill or capture and they've got them down in the basement they don't let them see any sun so their skin is really whited out they're very zombie like in appearance and they're they're uh, in these like homemade cells that have like slats of wood and everything um but they always seem to keep one kid aside and that's alice and fool meets alice while trying to get away from the the man and the woman and um that's the one kid that they keep as their child until they break enough rules and then they become a people under the stairs and they get another kid somewhere um there's another guy who lives in the walls he's one of the people who was he was punished at one point for speaking evil had his tongue chopped off um his character's name is roach and you see roach in a lot of stuff he pops up in a lot of low budget films and tv um series here and there and every time i see him hey that's roach like no matter what he's in hey that's roach i remember that guy roach is one of my favorite characters in any horror movie really in any movie at all he's a very very cool character and he got away from mommy and daddy and he lives in the walls of the house and he helps alice and he brings food down to the people under the stairs and they just can't catch him because he's in the walls and it's really really cool um Obviously, at the end, Fool overtakes Mommy and Daddy. The neighborhood revolts. Roach helps out. Alice escapes, and everything ends up. But the house is cool. The the light, the the beams of light coming through the slats of the people in the stairs busting through walls. It is a really really cool movie. Um, again, I don't think it won any awards or anything like that, but um, it did turn out to be based off of a news story that Wes Craven had um, read about a couple of people that had broken into a house. It was just a burglary. And um, when the cops came, they found actual kids were locked in rooms and not allowed to ever go outside. Um, Wes Craven had read that and, and made this story um, come from it. Um, the, the mommy and daddy that were cast, they were cast because they actually played husband and wife on Twin Peaks and Wes Craven really liked their dynamic together so it's another time that they got to act together oh and then there's the connection i was telling you about with ving rames and pulp fiction 
so when they when daddy is going into the walls to look for roach to chase after fools he puts on a gimp outfit and if anybody's seen Pulp Fiction, and I assume most of you probably have seen Pulp Fiction, we understand that Ving Rhames does not fare well in movies with a gimp. I've seen exactly two movies that have a gimp. Ving Rhames is in both of them, and, and he has things happen to him in those movies. Um, in this one, he is hung upside down and eviscerated and eaten and then lowered down into a pit to, to basically just be there for eternity. Um, aside from that, that's, that's it. It's just a fun movie. It does have some social commentary, but it's not very heavy. It has a little bit of race stuff, but it's not very heavy. And, um, overall, it's just a really, a really good movie and it belongs in the campy category, but it is also good. It's not just one of those movies that's so bad that it's good. I like when you stumble on movies like that. I feel like I found a lot of movies that I really love going into it, expecting just bad good movies but <laughs> yeah i don't remember even like the origin of how i watched this movie like i there's a lot of stuff like i know i know we talked about Candyman um a couple episodes ago and i remember waking up on my couch at two in the morning and it happened to be on and it scared the crap out of me i don't remember how i came across people under the stairs i just remember i i remember watching it young um the movie came out in 91 i graduated in 94 so I mean, I would have been 14-ish years old or so, 13 years old or so. And I remember really liking it. Um, and, you know, the kid from the Sandlot, the picture from the Sandlot is is full. So that was always pretty cool, too. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a good movie. Definitely worth a watch, I'd, I'd say. Well, if you don't have anything else, do you care if I jump into the feature? I can't wait for you to jump into the feature. I, I'm looking forward to it. For those brave souls ready for a fright. It's time for the feature. Okay, so disclaimer, I'm going to talk about The Exorcist. So this is something that you don't want to hear someone talk about because some people don't. It's time for you to turn the podcast off. Well, now that you've been warned, here we go. I'm going to talk about The Exorcist from 1973. Uh, and it's based on the experience of Roland Doe, which we will get on. We will get, you know, we will talk about afterwards. It stars Linda Blair as Reagan, and it was actually nominated for 10 Academy Awards and won two, which back then for a horror movie is humongous. That's, that's insane. That's unheard of. Um, it has, so its nominations were Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, which was Linda Blair, which, so, okay, maybe it's just me. I feel like Linda Blair being called the supporting actress in this baffles me. And I understand yeah. that maybe she wasn't like the top billed name, but this movie was Linda Blair. And that's Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Know, that's the character anybody talks about. Yeah. And I and I'm aware that like she had like stunt help and there were other people playing Reagan, but like she was Reagan. She was the face of Reagan. She was the star. She's not the co <laughs> but you know, that's just me. Anyways. Um, but yeah, and in a bunch of other awards too that they were nominated for. Uh, they were also nominated for seven Golden Globes, and one of which did go to Linda Blair for being uh, like a new up and coming star of the year. So, anyways, so the movie starts with uh, Priest Marin on an archaeological dig in northern Iraq where he finds 
two medallions. He finds a medallion of St. Joseph and a medallion of Pazuzu. So then they kind of fast, not so much fast forward, but then they kind of move over to the story that we're going to learn about a little bit more. And it's, uh, there's an actress slash single mom who takes her daughter to Washington, D.C. because she has a film role there. And, you know, they, they actually have a really cute relationship. They have a really great mother-daughter relationship. They're playful. They're funny. Um, Reagan has a little bit of sass, but it's never, like, disrespectful. But it's a really cool relationship. Um, throughout the night, eventually, uh, the mom starts hearing noises in the attic. And when she asks Reagan about them, she tells him tells her that it is her imaginary friend, Captain Howdy. If you are a classic rock fan and the name Captain Howdy rings a bell to you, it should because Twisted Sister did a song for it. So, and it's a great song and it's a great twist and a great little added thing in the movie. So, eventually Reagan begins to fall ill. Uh, you'll start seeing scenes, depending on which version you watch. If you watch the extended cut, you're going to see the staircase scene where Reagan basically crab crawls down the stairs. And that is chilling. And it's very well done, surprisingly, for um, for that. But it's very creepy and absolutely not something you ever want to see someone do because it's not normal. So I just was reading about that in the in the when, um the director had originally taken that out. He said that it was too scary. And that was why he took it out. He had later admitted that the reason they really took it out, A, it was very scary, but also because they couldn't feasibly remove the wires. And it was re released in the extended cut because at that point they were able to digitally remove the wires that hung the contortionist that did yeah. the walk. But the contortionist was real. Like she, what she was doing was absolutely real, which is mind blowing. I mean, I, I can't get my knee to bend half the days that I'm alive and this chick is, <laughs> bending herself in half backwards and walking downstairs yeah i i have to wonder because usually when they're when you when you have a craft like that and you're so well practiced in that i wonder how i wonder how needed the wires really were or if they were just for safety which, for safety maybe and i get that obviously for yeah. not that this movie was well known for its safety precautions no 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 there was <laughs> There was absolutely some corners being cut, but we'll get into that. Um, now, some of the scenes that people find to be the most unsettling are actually the scenes where Reagan's in the hospital getting her test done because she's in pain. She's screaming, she's crying, it hurts, you know, all that stuff. And that actually, and it's funny because they're not the possession scenes, but there are some of the scenes that people who saw it originally still are like, oh yeah, no, those were, you know, really hard to watch. You know, you see violent thrashing, you see the pea soup vomit scene, uh, the head spinning, the peeing on the floor, which it's really gross, but that's, I, I always found that scene to be super creepy. So I'll set it for you if you haven't seen it. You have, the mom has some actor friends over or some stage friends over and they're gathered around the piano and they're singing and Reagan comes downstairs and she's just kind of blankly looking at them. She's in her little nightgown, and when the mom says something to her, all she just pees, like right on the floor, and it's and it's terrifying because, like, she's not even acknowledging it. So now the mom just thinks she's sick. She's, I mean, I guess she is sick, but she's not sick, the way we would think she is. So, anyways, uh, some behind the scenes stuff, which is really cool. Uh, the scream 
you hear when Ellen Burstyn is thrown by Reagan. So there's a scene where she's kind of thrown across the room. That scream is real because when she hit, she broke a collarbone. Oh no, her coccyx. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know where that is actually. It's your <laughs> tailbone. Oh, your coccyx is your tailbone. Oh my God, that's awful. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So the scream is real because she broke her coccyx. So that's awful, and they kept it in the movie for reality, I guess. Uh, yeah, the, there's quite a few real, quote-unquote, real reactions in this movie that weren't supposed to happen the way they did. Yeah. Um, on top of it, so then the set was actually made ice cold for the breath to be seen in parts where, like, the possession was, was at its peak. And a lot of people in the beginning were really kind of taking to the, the myth that that wasn't the thing and that the room just dropped in temperature it wasn't it was the rooms were maintained in low temperature for the breath because as crazy as the director was he was smart and he knew what he was doing don't agree with some of his practices but that's besides the point um jason miller who played one of the priests the younger of the priests i believe actually had a gun fired by him for pure reaction like literally fired right by his head he was pissed Yes, yes. I will. I mean, I feel like. Justifiably pissed. Exactly. All right. So another fun fact about this movie is it actually predates warnings about strobe effects and intense score, which can trigger seizures and stuff like that. Um, people in a lot of the screenings and a lot of the, the theaters and whatnot were given barf bags because the reactions were so intense the parts of this movie because it was something people had never seen before it was violent it was i won't say gory because it wasn't bloody but i guess if a movie can be gory without blood it would it would i mean the vomit alone i don't know if gore has to be blood but the vomit alone was yeah that was (laughs) that was a lot yeah that was a lot a lot of vomit um now warner brothers was actually sued by a woman who broke her jaw in the filming of this because she she passed out and uh linda blair actually had to have bodyguards for months after the movie was released because of death threats because of the stuff that they were depicting in the movie was quite awful imagine um, death threats for a little girl i mean that's I bananas I mean, yeah. I mean not that the death threats are okay for anybody but i mean really shouldn't they have been toward the director uh william peter peter blatty who's the writer i don't know if he was around at that point still but I mean, you feel like maybe some of the adults involved in the film, the movie studio, but you, you're really going to do death threats to a little girl. I mean, come on. Or the child. It doesn't matter that she's a girl, but a child in general, yeah, really. Exactly. It doesn't. And, and it's funny, but that shows you, though, how how hard a time people had separating the reality of that film and the fiction of that film. True. Because they, they just couldn't it was it was just evil it wasn't a movie it was it sure. was an evil demonic thing and sure, to them like, linda blair became pazuzu exactly exactly um so now uh at one point in time a a pigeon flew into a circuit box and it caused a fire burning nearly the whole set down uh, the only room untouched by the fire was reagan's room which is creepy, and I don't 100% know the science behind it. It could be something to do with how they had to keep the temperature. Maybe it was moist, or I, I honestly have no idea. But Pazuzu protects. Pazuzu protects. Hashtag. 
Um, <laughs> I hope that becomes a hashtag. Hashtag Pazuzu protects. That would be so cool. I'm definitely going to promo it like that. And for anybody who that isn't exactly your thing, I do apologize. Understand? I'm I'm not Catholic, so I don't maybe necessarily share those beliefs, but um, it's all meant in good fun. It's rumored, though, that her room didn't burn down because it was already cursed by the fires of hell. And that's how her room not burning down was explained, is that they were cursed by the, the, uh, the fires of hell. So Satan did a controlled burn is what you're getting at, and then it was protected after that. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> now, there was underlying evil in this movie that not a lot of people know about. There was a man named Paul Bateson, or Batson. I'm not sure how to say his name, and it doesn't matter because uh, he had a very small part in it. He was actually in a hospital bed, if I remember correctly. Uh, he was playing basically like an extra type of role with like a little little extra, but um, he actually was a murderer, and he was not long after arrested for the murder of journal journalist Addison Verrill. And it's likely that he was also tied to other murders as well. So he, there very well may have been an actual real-life serial killer on set for this movie, which is insane. Linda Blair's Academy Award nom nomination, they actually wanted to withdraw it, but they couldn't. But she did not win because there was an alternative voice used when she was when Kazuzu was speaking through her. All right. Well, that's... That's basically the movie. Uh, it is based on Roland Doe, who endured multiple exorcisms in the 1940s and 1950s, and he was 14 years old. Uh, that in itself is a great book, so give that a Google. There's actually multiple books on it. That's a great story to read about. It's a great thing to learn about. It's super interesting and really scary. As scary as the movie is, that is terrifying. It is Some of the books, I think I've read two about him now are amongst the scariest books I think I've ever read. So, I mean, if based on real life is scary, real life is so scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, <clears throat> do you have anything you'd like to add about The Exorcist? Just um, some cool things I had been reading about, um, you know, you and I were talking earlier, we were talking about how um, it was crazy that Linda Blair was considered the supporting actress when she was the face of the movie. Um, and it reminded me of something that I had read before about the um, the promos for the movie. Um, so the original cinematic promo for the movie was basically just a black screen with like whited out almost zombie makeup face um, coming through the blackness and then fading out and coming back and coming out. And it was actually banned by a lot of theaters for being way too scary. Um, it turned out that the faces they used to make that promo were actually Linda Blair's failed makeup photos, like the the photos that the for the movie they didn't use, like when they would you know making her up for um, to be Reagan, um, the possessed Reagan, Pazuzu. Um, and these are the the shots that they didn't use in the movie. They ended up using it in the promo, so you know waste not, want not. And uh, they were so scary that like people literally were freaking out in movies where like movie theaters were like we're not showing this that's not going to happen um there was a lot of firsts in in this movie um i believe it was the first movie that was widely banned by the catholic church 
if I remember correctly. Um, yep. And I know that there were entire communities who refused to show, they would not allow movie theaters to show this movie. Like, like entire communities got together and they were like, yeah, not in my town. We're not having this in my town. And one thing that was really interesting that I had read about this morning was that um, a bus company or here are several bus companies were putting together exorcist bus tours where they were actually busing people from outside communities to communities that were showing the movie. So if you were from one of those communities that weren't showing the movie, you could possibly catch a bus to a community that was showing the movie. And um, like culturally, that's such a crazy thing to think about. I can't imagine anything coming out today that like, like community to be like, well, we're not showing that. And then some company is going to go, well, we'll make a buck busing you to places that will show it and people going to actually go view it in another place because their place isn't going to air it. Um, the, the impact on society really when it comes to having something that controversial come out is I, I can't think of another time when something such a small thing like a movie that really doesn't affect anybody's individual life affects society as a whole the way it did. And that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's I, it's one of those movies that if I were, like, if I could go back in time, be my age now, maybe, and but like go back in time and see in its heyday, like when it first came out, and be there to experience the whole thing. This would be that movie, and it should be Halloween by all rights, because Halloween's my movie. But right. it, it would have to be The Exorcist, because I, I just, I think I wanna, I think I would wanna just feel the air and and see what yeah. it was like. Just experience the whole atmosphere that that created, the 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 the, the naughtiness of it, the the taboo of it, and and what it's it's taboo. It's a movie. I mean, it's a rated R movie in a movie theater. It's not you know some back room, black market, crazy thing. It's literally just cinema, and and it, it blows my mind that it made such a cultural impact the way that it did. And I, I have to agree with you. I know that, you know, when you and I were practicing for the podcast that we're going to do, the Q&A podcast, one of the things we said was, what would you go back and watch for the first time? And The Exorcist is always one of the ones we come up with because just the experience of it, not just the movie itself, but the experience of everything around the movie would be really, really cool to be able to check out. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I can't think of I can think of a couple close seconds, but I can't think of something that would yeah, even come close to touching that one for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, did you have some interesting tidbits about um, um, Mercedes McCambridge? The voice of Pazuzu? Oh, <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. So again, um, as Shay mentioned, a couple different people chipped in to make Reagan be what she was and one of them was a voice actress who voiced her during the possession of Pazuzu um so the things that I had been reading about was she was a um a recovered alcoholic a recovering alcoholic and um in order to get the voice right she was chain smoking and absolutely drinking like tons of whiskey just to get her voice the way she wanted it to be um and in order to do that she actually as a requirement had her priest on set with her at all time um which is bizarre. It's, it's really, really cool for just a voice actress to be in this movie. Um, but she also required them to bind her up um, in a chair when she was doing her scenes. So A, her voice would construe the, the physical 
um, of pulling against the binds when she was struggling the same way Reagan was struggling. And also some of the sounds in the movie came from her actually struggling in those bindings. So not only did she contribute to Reagan's um, possessed, possessed voice, but also the struggling in the bindings and the chair creaking and stuff, a lot of that also came um, from that actress. Um, she had originally not wanted to be credited, um, but when the movie came out, I guess something changed and she decided she did want to be credited in the movie. And um, that led to some controversy. Uh, Shay brought up earlier about how they, they were talking about possibly withdrawing um, Linda Blair's nomination for the Academy Award, but it was too late. But that a lot of people think that's one of the reasons she didn't win that Academy Award because it came out uh, between the nomination and the awarding of that award, um, the voice actress um, information came out and that was a lot of people think that that was held against Linda Blair and that's why she didn't win that award. So there was, it, it's not the only priest to have been on set either because they were actually having, after the fire, they actually had a priest on set, I believe daily to bless the set because they they started kind of wondering if maybe there wasn't something going on a little uh, a little beyond the normal. Not a bad idea. Knock on wood, cross your fingers, whatever you need to do. Uh, she also was eating raw eggs, supposedly, and smoking like an excessive amount of cigarettes. Like you said, I know, I know you said cigarettes. She was smoking. The but... raw eggs was the thing I couldn't remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, not fun fact. Unfun fact. Sad fact. I don't usually I say fun fact, and this is not a fun fact actually. Um, but um, her son was actually a perpetrator in a headline that that absolutely shook uh little rock and it was um the headline murder in the main murders on the main i'm sorry and it was her son her son took the life of his wife his two children and then himself in 1987 wow yeah so that's pretty that's not a fun fact but it's it's no, another it's, thing kind of tied into the whole weirdness around the film. The lore of the cursed film and, and, and The Exorcist yeah. is well known as one of those cursed films. Mm -hmm. The Exorcist, Poltergeist is a few other ones, but yeah, yeah, that definitely ties into that lore of that curse. I mean, granted, that was that was in 1987 and The Exorcist was, you know, quite a bit older. I think 1970, I think it was in 1973. So, uh, but this but, is an offspring of, I mean, so you figure it's like a half yeah. a generation or so. It's Yeah, exactly. It, it, it just shows that the curse, if there was a curse, the curse lasted longer than the filming and even really the, the showing of the movie. Exactly. Now, the, the scene the, on the cover where you have um, the priest standing like in the streetlight, like kind of like toward Iconic. going towards the house. Yes, that is actually based on the painting or inspired by the painting by uh, Renee Marguerite, and it was called The Empire of Lights. Really? Yep. So that's we should look question. that up and get a print. We should. We should. Um, I agree, a hundred percent, actually. Uh, but Google that; it's awesome, and you can see it. You, you'll get it. Um, but I feel like that's all I have. It's funny because I feel like I should have a lot more, but like. Really, if, at this point in life, if you haven't seen The Exorcist, you're not going to see The Exorcist, and that's fine, and I get that, and it's not for everybody, but I, I'm hoping in this episode of Inspire, you didn't want to go watch it again if you haven't already. Um, and if you are somebody, I know we do have some younger listeners, if you are somebody who hasn't seen The Exorcist and you decide to, to see it, 
let us know on the Facebook page that we influence you to see it. Cause we always love bringing people into the genre. We always love people that maybe haven't seen a classic, um, whether you're younger or whether you're just around and just haven't had the opportunity. We love it. If, if, if we inspire you to go see something that we love, like the exorcist is such a great movie, such a classic movie. And you, and your you know, the curiosities peaked. Um, there's some crazy stuff that happens in this movie. That's worth, even if you know the story already, there's some crazy stuff that's well worth seeing. Um, and we'd love to hear if we influenced you into watching one of these movies. Yep. I agree. We'd like to know for sure. All right, I think we're going to dive into my rating then. And I'm going to utilize a little internal struggle that Father Damien Carras was having in the movie. And his mother was sick and then eventually passed. And I'm going to make the scale dicks. Because... Dicks. Yes, dicks. Because okay. according to Reagan, Father Carras's mother sucks them in hell so <laughs> so are these just dicks or dicks in hell are these hell dicks these are hell dicks yes you know what nice okay hell dicks we're gonna rate, we're gonna rate them on hell dicks i'm gonna let you go first <laughs> i mean this has to be a nine um it was so the story's great. Um, it is a it is a movie based off of a book, which apparently I didn't know was based off of a true story. So you just told us. Um, the book was really good. I read that in high school, and the movie was fantastic, and the impact on the culture has been fantastic. It is it is a real live horror ghost story as far as um, you know, the impact of you know different things that happened on set, the fire. Um, uh, even going so far as to affect uh, the offspring of some of the actors and actresses going on through another generation. Uh, I'm going to go with Nine Dicks in Hell. This movie is Nine Dicks in Hell. I thought you were Hell Dicks. I'm so sorry. Uh, nine Hell Dicks. Nine yeah. Hell Dicks. All right. Hell Dicks. I'm hell just dick. glad it wasn't a half because I don't want to see a half a Hell Dick like a John Bobbitt <laughs> Hell Dick. So what stinks is mine mine is a half uh, hey, so if you like a half a hell dick that's up to you that's your call i'm i'm actually gonna give it a nine and a half nice that is not the highest rating i've given but it's damn close and because this movie this movie birthed a genre that is very near and dear to me it, it won't say like absolutely birthed it but it made it made possible everything because it it made things it made people realize that okay you know what being this terrified for some people is where i want to be and then movies just kept on getting better and better and better and better from there yeah in a lot of ways i mean as you were mentioning with all the uh, the awards it was nominated for it really did mainstream horror movies not that you know not that the idea of the exorcist is a mainstream idea at that point anyway but it really did bring it some critical acclaim that horror really hadn't had before that so that's a good point. And I believe, were you telling me, uh, I believe Blumhouse is doing an exorcist for 2023, correct? Yeah, I was looking into that. I thought that it was going to be a, a reboot, um, but it looks like Blumhouse is going to do exactly what they did with the Halloween franchise. Um, hopefully 
they'll finish it off better, but they're going to do exactly what they did with the Halloween franchise. And they're going to um, do away with everything that happened after the original Exorcist movie. Cause it was, how many sequels were there after the Exorcist? I know there was at least two, was it three, four? I don't even know how many there were. I, I want to say three. But they're going to go ahead and eliminate the sequels. So they're going to, this is going to be a direct sequel um, generally, generationally after the original Exorcist movie. And it's going to do away with anything that happened in the franchise after the first Exorcist movie. So very similar to what they did with Halloween, where they picked up um, after the first Halloween movie and did away with all the extra Halloween movies. First two. I'm sorry. Yeah, they picked it up after the first two. The first two, one literally starts like five minutes after the second one. Yeah. So I forgot. I forget it's the events that happened in the events happened over two movies. But anyway, so Blumhouse is basically going to pick up um, 50 years later after the first Exorcist movie. It's going to be a direct sequel. Um, I do know that some some of the original actresses are rumored to be involved. One's officially attached. The other one's Linda Blair, still a rumor. Um, I've seen it in print, but I haven't seen it actually physically connected to the movie. And no one knows how big of a role they're going to be playing. But it should come out in 2023. I believe I saw October of 2023. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I really loved the beginning of what Blumhouse did with the Halloween movies. Um, and I don't know if they're going to continue on and make multiple movies like they did with Halloween, or if this is just going to be a one-shot thing they do with The Exorcist. Um, perhaps the money will tell the tale after the first one does. Um, and I know that you're a fan of Blumhouse, even though they shook you a little with the end of the Halloween franchise. So, yeah, I, so I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I, I love Halloween. If you've listened to this podcast at this point, you don't know that you're not listening good. <laughs> go back and try again. <laughs> but, um, what I'm telling, what I'm trying to say is, is I, the Halloween franchise for the most part, the characters, Michael and Lori, absolutely have a place in my heart, like a sincere, near and dear place in my heart. And I know that's absurd, and I know not everybody's going to get that, but they are, they are family to me. And when Halloween Kills came out, or when Halloween, actually, no, I'm sorry, when Halloween from 2018 came out, my mind was friggin' blown because it, the other movies that happened between two and then 2018 really i don't feel like they always painted a great picture of lori um i understand there's obviously there's trauma and everybody reacts differently to trauma but the lori in 2018 is the lori i wanted she was fierce and she was scared yeah obviously she was scared because you're allowed to be scared and scared's okay but she didn't let it beat her she was powerful and scary and a little bit she crazy. used that scared to prepare to fight whatever yeah. she was scared of as opposed to using it to defeat her and be cowering in a, in a building yes. somewhere and then obviously halloween kills came out which again blew my mind uh despite the fact that i really i really had a hard time watching michael get his butt kicked um that made me really sad and i know that's stupid but it did halloween ends had I was on the edge of my seat from the second I found out it was going to come out until it came out and I couldn't wait to watch it. I, I was, I, I had the whole day planned. I, that was like a big special day and I literally could not wait because 
and I was ready to cry. I had tissues ready, and I don't cry at movies. I was I was ready to ball my face off because I I knew I was losing someone, someone that I cared that much about. And honestly, I thought I was losing Lori and Michael. Didn't end up that way, and that's fine. I'm not I'm not upset about the ending of it for the most part. What I'm upset about is I don't feel like they closed it. I don't feel like they closed it well. Not that it was a poorly done movie. I think as a standalone movie, it would have been a great movie, a cool story or whatever, but I know. <laughs> but this movie was supposed to center around Laurie and Michael, and I don't feel like it really did. I feel like it actually neglected them quite a bit. And everybody in it was good for the roles they played. That's, you know, whatever. But, like, there was not enough Laurie and Michael for me at all. And that was supposed to be, this was supposed to be my... 40 some odd year in the making goodbye to two of my favorite characters in film of all time and it just kind of didn't go the way I had, I had hoped it would I guess I feel like Corey stealing that movie from Michael is the biggest crime in all the Halloween movies which involves many many murders yes yes exactly <laughs> exactly but but I digress because this is about The Exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully Blumhouse does a better job um, keeping it story centered and not and not um, distracting from the story or trying to create a new story. I got the feeling on that last Halloween movie on Halloween Ends that they were trying to set it up so that they could continue the franchise, so they could kill Michael and then continue with a new set of franchise. And it just didn't land. People really wanted that Michael and Lori showdown, which they got a Michael and Lori showdown, but they wanted a Michael and Lori showdown for an entire movie, not what they got. But again, like I said, this is this is supposed to be about The Exorcist. So we're just mm -hmm. kind of showing what we hope Blumhouse yeah. doesn't do with The Exorcist. Not that I feel like we'll have any influence on it, but it is fun to voice your opinion and uh, say it before it happens. <clears throat> so yep, hopefully... I yeah, hopefully that'll that'll work out to be how we want it to be. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Knock on I, wood. Let's bring I in a priest. In Blumhouse, though. I have faith. I have faith in Blumhouse, though. So it will they happen. Are a fantastic company. They are. All right. We could blabber on for hours about Halloween. At least I know I can. And <laughs> Blumhouse, and you know, and everything else. So, regardless, uh, let's move on. How about we talk about your family slash kids movie today? For the <coughs> little ones, it's time for the kids' scare. Okay, well, today I'm going to talk about The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Um, this movie came out during a period of time where Disney would take two, like, halfway feature-length movies and they would put them together and make a feature movie. Uh, both movies were, were eventually released um, separately. Um, but we're going to talk about it as a package. Um, this movie came out in 1949, and it was based off of The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, which is Mr. Toad's side of the story. And the one that is a little bit more appropriate for our podcast, which is The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irvin. Um, the movie starts off um, doing their version of Wind in the Willows, where uh, Mr. Toad is, he's inherited Toad Hall. He's a wealthy toad. Everybody thinks he's a wealthy toad. But he blows all his money on silly fads. Everything that comes out, he has to have it. 
Um, and he absolutely falls in love with the first automobile he sees. Um, so basically he gets accused of stealing a car and he gets brought into court and um, the, the appropriately named Mr. Winky is the owner of a bar nearby and Mr. Winky accuses Mr. Toad of trying to sell him the stolen car. But it turns out that Mr. Winky is the leader of the weasel gang and that's who actually stole the car. I'm gonna say Mr. Winky one more time because it does make Shay smile. Uh, and I will do anything to make Shay smile. Um, <laughs> but um, so it turns out that Mr. Winky falsely accuses him in court um, of stealing or trying to sell him the stolen merchandise. And um, Mr. Toad's friends break him out of jail. They, he gets out of jail. They prove that the weasels, the weasel gang stole the car. Um, it is implied that the weasel gang and Mr. Winky go to jail. I don't know how well Mr. Winky is going to do in jail, but um, the, the movie ends with Mr. Toad's friends all celebrating around Toad Hall and saying that they hope Mr. Toad has learned his lesson. And then Mr. Toad goes flying by on an airplane because he's absolutely not learned his lesson. He's now spending even more money that he is squandering on uh, now an airplane, which is the new current fad. Um, so that is so that was the story of Mr. Toad, The Wind in the Willows. It is a tale of morality, um, I guess, because in the end, the toad ends up winning, even though he has questionable uh, morality. Um, not that he really did anything immoral, but he's squandering his money and he's wasting the help that his friends are giving him. Um, the other half of of this movie is the adventures of Ichabod, which turns out, which is um, actually the, the Sleepy Hollow, the legend of Sleepy Hollow. So um, Ichabod Crane is a teacher. He arrives in Sleepy Hollow and uh, he is He's gangly. Uh, his name has possibly been Crane because he does resemble a crane bird. He's tall, he's skinny, he's awkward looking. Um, but he does catch the eye of a debutante in town who is uh, due to inherit her family's money. And for whatever reason, um, she takes a shine to Ichabod Crane. Um, for that, she was kind of unofficially promised to Brom who, if you watch this movie, you'll see has a very striking resemblance to Gaston from the Beauty and the Beast animated movies. And it turns out later, you find out that one of the animators say that they basically were inspired by, I, I would say they basically just straight up took this guy to make him into Gaston. Um, he was burly. He wore the, the vest over the shirt. He actually even has a great big song about the Headless Horseman in a tavern, very similar to to the Gaston song from Beauty and the Beast. Um, so he basically lifted that right from this movie. If you see that scene, you're gonna go, wow, that is, that's the Gaston scene from Beauty and the Beast. Um, in any event, um, he's very jealous that his betrothed has been taken by Ichabod Crane and he decides he's gonna scare Ichabod Crane and drive him out of Sleepy Hollow. So he comes out with this song, he, he sings about it. it is a local legend about um, the Headless Horseman. After he sees Ichabod Crane throw salt over his sh shoulder, he sees that he's um, superstitious and he's gonna use it against him. So he tells him about how on Halloween night, the Headless Horseman comes out and 
will, you know, try to take the souls of the people on the road. Um, so on the way home from the party, the Headless Horseman does indeed come across Ichabod. Um, there's a bridge that once you get across it in Out of Sleepy Hollow, you're safe from the Headless Horseman. The Headless Horseman chases Ichabod to the bridge, and as he's leaving, he throws his jack-o'-lantern head the distance through the bridge, and it hits Ichabod, and he falls off his own horse. And the next day, Ichabod can't be seen. Um, there's just some articles of clothing in the dashed pumpkin, the dashed jack-o'-lantern. And um, rumors are, of course, that the Headless Horseman has taken Ichabod. Um, you find out later on that there's rumors that Ichabod is in a nearby county. He's found another rich girl who he has married, and now they have kids. Um, but Ichabod was always pretty open, except to the girl, that he was with her for the money. So it really doesn't seem to be a hero in this story, except for possibly the Headless Horseman, which a lot of people think was just Braun um, dressed up to continue scaring Ichabod. Um, it is for little kids. This movie was out so early that it was before ratings were a thing. So the only rating on this movie is approved. Um, the Headless Horseman is a very famous story. And once again, it is the, the, the golden age of Disney, 1949. Um, you'd have to decide whether or not your kids are old enough to watch a, a, an apparition on a black horse with a jack-o'-lantern head uh, chasing a scared man. If that's something you feel like your kids can't handle, then by all means, don't show it to your kids. But I mean, it's, it's, it is absolutely a classic, um, even if you only watch that half, the, the Headless Horseman part. And it is, um, you know, it's an adaptation of a classic story by Washington Irving. So what do you feel like the age for this movie would be? Um, again, obviously, I feel like I feel like we say this every episode that, you know, your kids, you know, what you can handle. Um, I, I have a friend who has a two year old is obsessed with Michael Myers, not to put this back to Halloween. Um, and, and, and our own son was laughing at Freddy Krueger movies. Um, well before he was old enough to watch Freddy Krueger movies. So, you, you know, judge it by yourself. I, I feel like if you're old enough to watch um, Snow White's mother try to poison her with an apple, and if you're old enough to watch Cinderella's um, family basically enslave her and try to steal her opportunities, like it's, it's no more scary than that stuff. Um, that Headless Horseman is a scary image, but I mean, I feel like Six-year-olds, seven-year-olds can watch this movie um, unless they're particularly sensitive. No, I agree. That's. I feel like that's a good place to put it. Great. Well, you got anything else? I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity. I'm glad Tom will be back next week. Um, it was a lot of fun, but it was also a lot of work researching these movies. I want to thank everybody for for who's listening, and um, that was. I'm happy to have Tom back next week. That's it for me today. I think I've talked a lot. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to meet us at the snack bar next week when our season finale is on the big screen. We're talking about Jaws. So until then, sweet dreams. All right. We'll see you later. Bye. As always, thank you for listening. Feel free to reach out to your hosts by email at scareyourpantsoff9 at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Be sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications wherever you get your podcasts.
If we haven't scared you away yet, you're our kind of people. So check under your bed and keep your feet under the covers. If those closet doors shut. <laughs> Till next week, my friends.